tonight. Just what we've been waiting for. We've got good news on the inflation front, but hold up. There still could be a long way to go. You're listening to Simply Money presented by Allworth Financial. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Ruby. This is one of those step in the direction, but we're not out of the woods quite yet kind of a day. Yeah, that's a good way to put it, Amy. Right right now, I mean, the, the news that came out was good. U.S. inflation did ease to 6.5 percent in December compared with the year earlier. Um, it's still high, and it's in line with what many economists would happen. Um, but it is good news because it, it's it's fallen for six straight months. Well, and let's go back to June, right? That's when we saw the peak of inflation, 9.1%. Uh, and then you fast forward uh, to November, we were at 7.1%. This is a trend in the right direction. And it's exactly what the Federal Reserve, our nation's central bank, is looking for as they're in this really difficult situation. And I'm a huge, are you, a, I don't know if you're a basketball fan. I'm a huge basketball fan. Uh, my 13-year-old plays what I like in what the Fed is doing right now is they're playing the second half of a basketball game, but the scoreboard is still on the first half. Oh, that's such a great comparison. And I am a huge basketball fan. Right. I, I, NBA is, is where my faith lies. And, you know, Cavs, they're, they're my team. But, you know, enough of that. But it's a good point in saying that, hey, you don't have up-to-date information, yet you're doing something really important, and you don't really know where you stand. There's a lag time between these decisions that the Federal Reserve makes in raising interest rates and the time that we actually see the results of them. It would be like throwing up a basket, but the scoreboard doesn't change for 10 more minutes. How do you keep track of that? How do you know in real time right, what decision to make next because you don't have real-time data? on the impact of that. So as we look at these inflation numbers, good news, because we're finally seeing that kind of lag time getting to a point where we're actually seeing movements in the economy. Mm -hmm. And as far as these inflation numbers, this is exactly what the Federal Reserve wants to see. Yeah, I mean, it is definitely a challenge because the Fed has to figure out whether it's done enough up to this point without knowing what impact they've really had up to this point. And and in a world where, you know, bad news is, is can be good news and good news can be bad news, I'm certainly not envious of that, uh, the decisions that they have to make. Well, and I think also what we have to keep in mind is the goal here is still 2%. That is the Federal Reserve sort of goal inflation rate, meaning that every year we would pay about 2% more for all of the goods and services that we buy than we did last year. That's kind of a healthy rate of growth for the economy. We were at 9.1% earlier this year. We're down to 6.5%. That's still a long ways away, meaning we don't know yet whether the Federal Reserve has done all the rate hikes to get us back to 2% because it's going to take longer or whether they're going to have to continue to be more aggressive. And I think based on kind of the Federal Reserve's tone and the comments that they've made in recent days, you might think, well, they can they're going to probably continue down this path of making some aggressive moves, maybe not the three quarter point sort of jumbo rate hikes that we Mm -hmm. saw uh, that you kind of were the norm last year. But it's going to take a while to get us back down to that two percent mark. It it is possible that they've already done enough and the rates will continue to fall naturally. But at the flip side of that that might not be the case. They may, you know, look six out, six months out from now and see that they've gone too far. And and that's really the scary part. You know, the markets are waiting to see how the Fed sticks its landing. They they don't want to go too far because then we could end up like it was in the 80s. 
I was just going to say, I'm going to like take on the role of my parents because I, when I was growing up, anytime I would say this thing is bad, they would always make this point. Well, it could always be worse when we <laughs> were kids, blah, blah, blah. Right. Okay. Well, we don't feel great about how much we're paying for our groceries or our energy bills right now. Well, guess what, guys? It could always be worse. Yes. June of 1980, inflation rate 14.4%. Talk about worse. It did not get below 4%, below 4% until November of 1982. It took two and a half years of those double digit inflation numbers before they got down to not 2%, but we're talking 4%. Yeah, I went to cook breakfast this morning and I asked my wife, you know, why don't we have any eggs? Have you bought eggs recently? Yes, we buy lots of eggs in our house and they are, I think, up like 50% from last year. It really is something, but you know, you're right. It could be worse. Your parents are right about that. Uh, it, it took, you know, two years to get it from, you know, 14.4, 1980 to 4% in, in 82. And, and and that's really what the, the worry is for for the Fed. They don't want to raise interest rates so fast that we slide into, um, you know, that type of an economy. So while the Fed is probably excited doing a little happy dance today because of these inflation numbers, they're probably not doing a happy dance about jobless claims because this is a place that just seems absolutely impervious to everything they're trying to do. Um, jobless claims have dropped yet again. Absolutely not what the Federal Reserve wants to see, because, of course, what you would expect as interest rates rise and it becomes more expensive to borrow money, uh, you know, that the businesses start look at things slowing down uh, and the possibility would be that uh, there would be layoffs. We've seen layoffs in the tech sector, yet we're not seeing increases in job claims like you would expect to see when an economy is, in fact, slowing down. However, one sort of bright spot is that wage growth is actually showing signs of slowing. Now, you and me, well, that doesn't sound great. Everyone wants a raise, right? Everyone know, wants right? to make more next year than we are this year. But at the same time, from, from the economy's standpoint, it's very much good news. You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC as Steve Ruby and I break down the headlines for you tonight, what you need to know. Speaking of headlines, Jamie Dimon, right? JP Morgan CEO. This guy makes a lot of headlines, but not all of them end up being so true. And I think this is a kind of reminder to all of us as investors not to buy into the headlines. Yeah, he said um, what there's he knows that there's storm clouds but he sees it changing into a hurricane. Those Scary are some stuff. strong words coming from somebody in such a position like he's in. And and, and he uh, he backpedaled on that a little bit. Yeah, he made he essentially said, I'm starting to see this economic data, right? Not looking good. Um, but I'm going to tell everyone who's listening to me because I've got a pretty good pulpit here that it's going to get much, much worse. This is a really smart guy on Wall Street. He is a gazillionaire himself. He's made a lot of smart investments. You would think he knows what he's talking about. So when he says something like that in June, you would think, oh, gosh, the rest of 2022 is going to get downright ugly. You what would happened, think, though. Yeah, what right. happened, right? <laughs> it wasn't beautiful. It wasn't great. Our 401ks weren't growing at 10% plus, but it certainly wasn't a hurricane, which Diamond apparently now seems to be walking back a little bit. Imagine he, that. He didn't quite admit that he was wrong. <laughs> of course not. That would it, be way too much to ask. Yeah, it was more of a gentle, you know, maybe I shouldn't have used the word hurricane. Here's what I actually meant, right? Come yeah. on now. Come on, just admit you're wrong. I mean, that, that, 
but that's that's what it is. It's these headlines, and and you know we read them, people read them, and and that's the scary part. People can make a a bad decision, like selling the cash in their four hundred one k, because somebody like like Diamond, you know, comes out and said there's an economic hurricane on the horizon. He's you a know, big name. You yeah, pay we attention. Need, yeah. We need to take this news with a grain of salt, especially because look, you know, the guy said it and he backpedaled. He won't admit that he he's wrong, but he said maybe I shouldn't use the word hurricane. Well, and Jamie Dimon, even in his beautiful silver and glass platinum palace on on whatever Wall Street that he has, he does not have a crystal ball in it. He doesn't have right. anything that that we don't have that is going to tell him exactly what to expect in the future. And I think that's what really bothers me about so many of these people making these uh, predictions is you read them. And when you start to read, oh, well, Jamie Dimon said this, but then uh, Jamie Dimon and Kathy Wood also said, this. You, you start to put together these these names of these people that are either in charge of these big banks or these large funds. And you start to say, they must know something, but they don't. None of them have that crystal ball that can tell them about the future. So changing your own financial plan, right? Going to cash at a time when you're reading headlines like that, it's only going to harm you. Another headline I want to talk about now, um, because you, you'll probably recognize this name, Nelson Peltz. This is the guy that came into Cincinnati several years ago mm-hmm. and said, Procter & Gamble, you need to change some things. And I'm going to tell you what you need to change because I'm going to get a seat on your board. And they fought it and they fought it. Uh, and there was actually a big proxy vote. He lost that vote to get on the board. And then ultimately the CEO of Procter & Gamble said, fine, just, like you just just come on board, right? Yeah, you know, fine, do your thing, be here. He, he, he wound up on the board, but he did leave in 2021. I know there was a lot of talk about what that might look like for Procter & Gamble, especially, you know, being in Cincinnati, there was concerns that he would try to force layoffs and, you know, maybe move the company's headquarters somewhere else. Um, but he's he's got another mission now, not not Procter & Gamble. He's uh, he's looking at, at Disney. Yes. So he has some issues with Disney, right? He's critical of their succession planning, their compensation, their direct-to-consumer strategy. I was actually just talking to my best friend is leaving uh, later tonight to go to Disney. Mm-hmm. And she's telling me, well, there's this pass that you have to buy and, and this extra thing that you have to get. And I'm thinking, I don't know. Disney seems to have it all figured out when it comes to making money. I don't know. if I would question Disney, but Nelson Peltz apparently is. I know. That's that's what I thought when I saw this, too. You know, I, I think <laughs> Disney will be fine without, you know, Mr. Peltz uh, interfering and trying to get on the board. But I will know. say, I will say, because I, I covered this whole Nelson Peltz story a lot. I was in the room when the vote went down. Uh, I've, I've interviewed Nelson Peltz. I was really um, not so sure what I thought about this outsider coming into mm-hmm. Cincinnati thinking he knows better. And there was a lot of concern, to your point, yes, about him moving since the headquarters outside of Cincinnati, but also breaking up the company into different business units. Mm-hmm, yeah. And his whole point was, there's just too many layers here. We need to kind of flatten out the management structure. I actually think, and I'm not in the boardroom at Procter & Gamble, but probably some of the people who are would say that maybe some of the points that he made were taken into account okay. uh, and actually maybe not such a such a bad way. And then when Procter & Gamble's stock was way up, as I think he probably was a small part of moving it in that direction, he sold. He got out. That's what he does. Oh, good for him. I wonder what, what is, he's going to do with Disney, if yes, anything. Yes. 
stay tuned, right? Mm -hmm. One other thing I want to bring up for anyone that's been traveling and following this major story. Um, airlines seem to be back on track today after a major weird kind of computer outage forced the FAA to halt everything yesterday. Huge story. Um, as of today, there were less than 500 flights that were delayed, uh, according to FlightAware. So this is kind of moving in the right direction. And, and thank goodness this didn't happen on holiday. Yeah, I can't believe one thing after another with these airlines. And, you know, this is it's important to look at your portfolio and, and make sure that you don't have one single security making up too much of your net worth. I'd yes. say this is a pretty darn good example of why not. Well, and you could look at even the entire travel sector and say, well, it's post pandemic, right? Everyone's going to get out there and travel. I'm going to invest in all these travel stuff. Well, no one saw this coming, yeah, right? Yeah. Curveball after curveball after curveball with the holidays and now this and. You know, our general rule of thumb, I would say no more than 10 or 15 percent of one single security making up your entire portfolio. Any more than that. And you're putting your, your net worth at risk because yes. these these can be affected greatly by something that we don't expect. A lot of risk. Here's the all worth advice. When you hear us talking about all of these daily headlines, it's to help you make sense of them and put them into perspective. Don't react, though, to the headlines. Just stay the course with your long term plan. Coming up next, business is booming for the Bengals and some financial mistakes we want to make sure you avoid in 2023. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. <laughs> Listening to Simply Money presented by Allworth Financial. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Ruby. If you can't listen to Simply Money every night, well, we do have a daily podcast for you. You can listen to it anytime. Share the word with your friends. All you've got to do is search Simply Money on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. Straight ahead at 6.43, we've got pensions, mortgages, prenups. We're covering it all in our Ask the Advisor segment. Well, the Cincinnati Bengals, the darlings of this city, right? We're we're fickle fans around here, mm -hmm. but over the past couple of years, uh, the Cincinnati Bengals have given us lots of reasons to be proud and to cheer for them. And well, yeah, it's a lot of entertainment and fun. It's also a big business. And yeah, right now, Bengals business is booming. Yeah, attendance at Paycor Stadium soared 10% this year on a per-game average. Uh, this, is, this is a big deal. I mean... I, I, I have a it's confession. a big deal when it comes to dollars and cents, for That's sure. Right. That's right. I, I have a confession to make, Amy. Let's hear it. I'm born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, oh. I live in Cincinnati because my wife is from here. We met in college. Uh-huh. And most of my life, uh, I've been a Browns fan. Oh. Well, that's a tough thing to even have to say out loud. It is. It is. And is that your confession? Uh, no, it goes a step beyond that, actually. The, the confession is I, I think I might be switching allegiances <gasps> to the Bengals. I've been here since 2007. Honestly, yeah. it's a better product. And the fact that, you know, attendance soared 10 percent, I, I think, shows that that's the case. So I think what you're saying is you're, you've jumped on the bandwagon. Yeah, and that's okay. <laughs> I'm comfortable with that. I still get to hate against the, the same two teams. I, I, I don't enjoy the Steelers. I don't enjoy the Ravens. It feels very comfortable for you. I, I get that. And, and that's exactly what's happening here. When you look back to 2019, Bengals attendance was 47,000. We're up 20,000 people on average more in the stands for games now than just a few years ago. That's up 40 plus percent. I have been a lifelong Bengals fan, and, and again, my, my heart goes out to a lifelong Browns fan as well because it has, it has been some tough times and it's really amazing to see the city rally around uh, the team as it's kind of rebuilding and it's gotten so much better. And I love to see that the stands are packed, although I will say my husband and I were just saying the other night, 
why did we not buy season tickets a few Oops. years ago? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can't afford them now, can't touch them now. But as the Bengals build this team, there are going to be higher and higher paychecks for these players. And so butts and seats means more money, more money for ticket sales, more money for concessions. Uh, the TV deals get more lucrative. That's why there's the name Paycor on that stadium now. They're mm-hmm. going to have to pay some hefty paychecks in order to keep these players here and to keep this level of, of football here in Cincinnati. And I think we can all agree that's something we, we don't want to go away. So I will cheer for more people in the stands. Yeah, I don't think it's going to change anytime soon with the... Burrow. Even if I can't afford a ticket to actually sit there and watch the game, I'm happy, happy to watch a winning team from home. Yeah, I mean, so we've got a new year, which means there's new opportunities for your money. It can also mean new opportunities, new chances to make mistakes. So we want to look at some things that we would say, hey, if you avoid this in 2023, you're probably going to be in pretty good shape. One of those is sticking to outdated financial goals. There was a commercial in the past couple of years, uh, some financial services firm, and it was the people keep popping up in different places in their life. And uh, they're saying to their advisor, well, we thought this was going to happen, but this happened. And he's like, well, that's okay. We plan for things to change. I thought, you know, but if you plan for things to never change and you stick to something that maybe in your 30s, you thought, well, this is this is my plan. It's down on paper. I don't ever have to do it again. This is going to carry me through to retirement. Well, that probably doesn't work. Yeah. Financial situations change. Goals change. Needs change. That's why I mean. Lives change. Yeah. I I mean, that's that's why it's important to to meet with, you know, folks at least once a year. I try twice a year because we need to keep up with people's changing financial situations. And, and, you know, if if you're sticking to outdated financial goals, then you can fall into a pitfall of, of not optimizing the cash flow that you have towards other goals. Yes. So review, right? Go back and revisit those goals that maybe you set in the past. I always am a huge proponent of having these conversations often with your spouse, kind of like a regular cadence of it, maybe. Mm. And I'm not saying, listen, like, I, Steve Sprovac makes fun of me because I, I talk about money so much. He's like, oh, my gosh, your dinner conversation must be so <laughs> boring. But every once in a while, a couple of times a year or quarterly, it's good to get together and say, hey, last year we said that our priority was helping the kids pay for college. Mm-hmm. Is that still our number one priority? Last year we said we wanted to build a house. We wanted to, whatever it was, revisit those priorities. And I, and I think that by talking about what your money priorities are, keeping those goals kind of right out there in front of you makes it so much easier to achieve them because they're just front of mind. So revisit the old ones. Go back and see if they still make sense. Here's another huge one. Um, not reviewing your credit card statements. This is a huge miss. My husband, again, <laughs> he hates. I was just doing this the other night. I go over every single expense and then I like say out loud, like, was that necessary? Was that, is that some, but and you do goes, kind of start to see some trends. It goes beyond necessary expenses too, because you, you want to make sure that, that something is, isn't on your credit card statement that doesn't belong there. Absolutely. Because there's a time limit before you can fight those. Yes. And, it, and, you know, looking at it, you know, not just to spot trends and, and, and whatnot, but, but make sure there's nothing fishy on your credit card statement. Yeah. Another thing we would say, hey, this is something you could really focus on in 2023 is maxing out your retirement account. At the very least, you've got to get the full company match. Otherwise, it's the same thing as your boss with their hand outstretched with cash in their palm saying to you, hey, do you want this money? And you're saying like, Meh, no, thanks. I don't yeah, really here's free money. Do you want it? No. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. But no, thanks. Right. That's the same thing. Absolutely. It's it's and it's so easy too. if you're going to contribute somewhere make it your 401k first, especially if there's free money on the table. Yes. And, and 
maxing it out. And listen, this is for some people, this sounds like the craziest thing ever. And then there was a time in my life when it sounded like the craziest thing ever. But I have made this a huge priority uh, that in my 40s, I'm at the point where I take very seriously trying to max out my 401k every year. It's not a rule. It's not the only way to be successful in retirement. But I'm telling you, it's a great way to help get yourself there. Yes, Um Another thing I would say, talking about kind of credit card statements and things to do, automating your bill payments. This is, you talk about your credit score and bringing it up. The, the number one ding on your credit score is not paying your bills on time. And I know if like for the longest time, my dad would say like, well, I don't want to auto pay. I want, I want the bill to come in. I want to look at it. I want to see it. And then I want to pay it. And, and I do understand that way of thinking, but it's also the way that mistakes are made. Bills get misplaced. You lose things. You can't find them. And all of a sudden you're 30 days over and major ding on that credit score. Yeah. This is a good way to take advantage of technology in this day and age. There's no point in not automating because there's no excuse for late charges if you are. Here's the all-worth advice. Avoiding these common financial mistakes can only save thousands of dollars. It could make you thousands of dollars over time. Do you know what TikTok is? No clue? We're going to tell you. You might need to know next. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. Dave Hatter, your name came up over the Christmas holiday with my family because my 13-year-old came to me and said, Mom, all of my friends have TikTok. I'm really responsible with my phone, with my devices. Um, please, please, can I have it? And I said, well, I'm going to pick up my phone and I'm going to call Dave Hatter, our tech expert, and he's going <laughs> to tell you all the reasons why you shouldn't have TikTok. So for all the parents out there, who have teenagers coming to them asking for this platform. And let's face it, it's really, really popular. What do we need to know? Yeah, Amy, you're right. Unfortunately, it is super popular and it has so many privacy and security problems, which have been just ongoing really since its inception. You know, we would need like a, a whole three hour segment to really cover <laughs> it all, but I'll just try to hit the high points here. Yes. Um, you know, Again, since its inception, it's had all kinds of privacy and security problems. But the fundamental thing that most experts have pointed out is, A, TikTok is owned by a Chinese company in China, where the Chinese Communist Party has laws that dictate that any company in China has to turn over any information they have at will. Yeah. TikTok is well known, and this is easily researched, to be one of the most aggressive apps in terms of the amount of data that it collects from your devices. So, you know whether you read the privacy policy in the terms of service or not, once you install the thing, its objective is to collect as much information as possible. And they do it in a lot of nefarious ways. A researcher recently pointed out, and this is not exclusive to TikTok, most of the Facebook apps are similar. You know, if I send you a link inside TikTok to a website, when you click that link, rather than opening in, let's say a Safari browser on an iPhone or a Chrome on a, you know, on an Android phone or something, it opens in its own browser so that it can literally track everything you're doing, which could include capturing your usernames, passwords, or anything that you type in in that device. Mm -hmm. So it's extremely aggressive in its data collection. So are, All are of you, that data. Yeah, go so, ahead, Steve. So, so are you saying that if you put TikTok on your phone, that TikTok potentially can go into your phone and get other data that has nothing to do with the TikTok app? Oh, that's absolutely true. And, and wow. frankly, Steve, that's true for just about any app you install. Now, wow. you know, Apple, to their credit, through the introduction of their app tracking transparency framework uh, about a year and a half ago, 
not only requires that before you publish an app in the Apple Store, you have to tell people what data you're going to collect. It gives you the option as the owner of the phone to opt out of it. Now, most people still don't really understand what all that means. Uh, and then again, TikTok is doing these nefarious things to try to circumvent that as much as possible. So is Facebook. So is just about any social media app and just about any app you install on your phone. I, I know this is going to be shocking to your listeners, but believe it or not, software developers like to eat too. They're not building all this stuff for you for free because they're nice people. And when they give it to you for free, quote unquote, you know, the trade off is you're not paying with money. You're paying with the data. You are the you product. You are the product. Yeah, exactly. You are the product. Well, and but I think this so is different. Well, go ahead, Amy. Go ahead. I've got, I've got four teenagers in my house, right? My, my son, the 13 year old is the youngest. The other three girls have TikTok. And so, um, how do you, how do you explain to, And maybe I think a lot of these kids are like, but what, what information am I, do I have on my phone that's even interesting to anyone else, right? Like, let's explain it so parents can have these conversations with their kids about how they can protect themselves and why this is so important. Well, think about it like this. Okay, again, TikTok, extremely aggressive in what they're collecting. All that is going back to China. There's no control over it. You have no idea what they're using it for. You have no idea how long they'll keep it. You have no idea how long you'll store it. Assume that TikTok could have access to every text, every phone call, every email, every contact, and really just about anything that's in your phone. Wow. So something you say today as a 15-year-old as a joke could show up 10 years from now and you could be fired as a result. You could not get into the college you want to go to. I mean, these real these are real things, not necessarily TikTok related, but these are real things that have happened to people countless times. It's easy to research this. Wow. You may not get the job, you may get fired, you may not get the college you want, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Because as a kid, you don't really understand you know, what you're saying. You don't necessarily mean anything malicious by it, yet there it is, digitized forever, stored forever, and then through you know some sort of malicious act, a data breach, a mistake, whatever, there it is 10 years later. Can you um, imagine so, asking your son or your teenage son or daughter, is there any text you've ever sent that you would prefer I or anybody else not the world? see? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes. That, that, that should get their, that should get their attention. So, so I'm, not, what, I'm not big on social. I'm not so big on social media. I for it's it's not I'm not a tinfoil hat guy, but I just I don't really have a use for Facebook or anything like that. But I do go on YouTube and I notice that they have shorts now on YouTube which are short clips and more than a couple of them have TikTok up in the corner. So I don't have an installed TikTok app, but I see TikTok videos. Does that mean my phone is compromised also? That's a good question. So there are, and there are other companies trying to get into this short video space that TikTok is so yeah. popular around. You know, if you just click a link and watch a TikTok video, you know, there is potentially some information it could capture, but nowhere near the kind of information that it, that the t installing the TikTok app on your device could capture. Now, because I'm just anti TikTok top to bottom, yeah. I'm not going to watch any videos. I'm not going to do anything that helps them in any way. Because here's the second part of the TikTok piece we haven't gotten to. So they're collecting all this information. It's going to China. Who knows what they're doing with it? And by the way, they've lied about this numerous times and been caught in it. Shocking. And at last mm. I checked, there were at least 21 states who have taken some kind of action against TikTok, either banning it outright on their devices, suing them, etc. cetera. Uh, the Senate has come out and blocked it. The House has blocked it. So people are waking up to this. But the second piece is you have these whole TikTok challenges. Kids have died as a result of yeah. these idiotic mm. things they're suggesting that you do. But 
The other piece I think is the most insidious and least understood and also well documented. There are essentially two versions of TikTok. In China, if you're a kid using TikTok, you get videos about science and, you know, careers and how to be smart. Over here, you're just fed a continuous stream of the most idiotic crap you can imagine, like wow. these challenges where people die. That That's, is it's a well-documented fact. It's it's a, basically a propaganda tool. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're using all this. They know every video of you watched. They know how long you watched it. I, you know, it, the thing is just bad top to bottom. There is nothing good about TikTok. And my advice is get rid of it as soon as you can. So for parents who are saying, okay, maybe, or, you know, I, I don't think it's also healthy to say to your kids, no social media, because this is the new world and they have to learn how to, how to be sort of healthy and protect themselves in it. So if we're saying not TikTok, are there any other platforms that you would say, okay, maybe this is a good place to start? Well, that's a good question, Amy. You know, these things come and go fast. What's hot today is gone tomorrow. You may recall there was something called Vine, which Twitter bought, and it was oh, kind of yeah. like TikTok, and then Twitter shut it down. And there's at least been rumors that they might bring that back. I, I agree with you completely. I'm not saying you should not use any social media at all. Now, I'm yeah. not a fan of most of these players. I do use t Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn for various business-related purposes and so forth uh, to some degree. But I also do it without using their apps. I don't have the Facebook app installed on anything. I don't use anything but Facebook. I don't use WhatsApp or any of their other platforms. So you just get I don't to have it through the, the browser. App. I use it yeah, in a privacy-friendly browser where I have an, a lot more control over what kind of information they can collect. And for the most part, they're only getting whatever I give them. So there are ways you can do this smartly. You know, Again, reminder, you are the product, not the customer. Mm -hmm. They're collecting your data to make money. So, you know, that's part of the trade-off you're making. And I, I agree with your point, Amy, you know, in today's hyper-connected world, when it comes time to try to go to college or get a job or whatever, complete lack of any social media presence whatsoever may yeah. not be helpful to you either. But you need to be smart about it. You know, as a parent, you should be monitoring what your kids are doing to the extent you can. But part yeah. of the problem is, again, you know, five years ago, who heard of TikTok? Yeah. You know, Clubhouse, these things come and go very quickly. And usually the kids are way ahead of the parents. I mean, even for people like me in the business, you know, I probably am not aware of whatever the latest cool thing is. Well, once because... the parents start using it, the kids are going to give up. Because <laughs> right. Yeah. Now it's tainted. Yeah. Yes. Oh, dad's now, on, dad's my mom's on, on here. Forget like it. Like Facebook, exactly. you know, it's kind of like the geriatric crowd like me now, you know. <laughs> uh, kids kids mostly sort of disdain Facebook and like Facebook. Uh, you don't, you next, want you're going to tell Facebook? me MySpace what? and AOL are getting old. <laughs> no, don't do that to yeah. me. MySpace, the perfect example. So well, let's hope that TikTok goes by the wayside quickly then. But if not, parents, this is what you need to know about these platforms. Your kids are on there or they're asking to get on there and you need to know. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money presented by Allworth Financial. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Ruby. Coming up ahead, next, misconceptions about credit scores. Millions of Americans have, maybe even you. We want to make sure that you don't fall into these traps. Do you have a financial question you'd like for us to answer on the show? Easy way that you can do it. There's a red button you click on while you're listening to the show. It's right there on the iHeart app. Record your question. It's coming straight to us. Speaking of your questions, it's time to ask the advisor. The first question tonight comes from James, who lives in Newtown. I have a state pension. Don't know whether I should take the lump sum or receive the money in monthly installments. Is there a rule of thumb? What say you, Steve Ruby? 
James, first of all, congratulations. Pensions are, are you know, a dying breed. And, and yeah, having one this, this, this is a decision that you have to make that I'm certainly jealous of. Um, <laughs> I'll never have a pension. And, and short answer about a rule of thumb as to what you should do. I would say no. There really isn't a rule of thumb explanation on, on this choice because each person has different needs, different financial situations, different goals. Um, you know, there's some questions that can sway in one direction or another. Are, are you healthy? Is longevity on your side? Did your parents and grandparents live till they were 102 years old? If so, then maybe we explore the idea of annuitizing and guaranteeing that lifetime income stream. Are you married? Is there an age difference between you and your spouse? Because you could leave some of that behind your spouse when you're gone, um, continuing that cash flow. Uh, do you have any other portfolio assets? If no, then making sure that you have something that can keep up with inflation and, and you know go towards other financial goals, then maybe you look at a lump sum. Yeah. I always say, and we've said this on the show for many years now, rules of thumb are often rules of dumb because there's just no one thing that applies to everyone. Mm -hmm. And I think when you look at, okay, do I want this big pot of money now or do I want a certain amount every month for the rest of my life? What makes the most sense? Uh, James, get up, go to your bathroom, look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, can I handle a lump sum or would I spend it all at once? That's a good point. If you think, yeah, I can I can take this money and I can be really responsible and I think I will invest it and I will do these things, well, then that money could last even beyond you if you're smart about it. However, if the first thought of that money coming in is that new car or that a boat, <laughs> the boat, it's always the boat. Yeah. Exactly. I'm going to buy a boat eventually. I don't care. <laughs> if the mind goes there, then maybe you want the monthly payments. And I think that's kind of a great way to look at figuring out. But there's there's no exact rule of thumb that goes into place here. Next question comes from Paul, who lives in Avondale. 54 years old. I've got $170,000 left on my mortgage. My rate is under 3%, just under 3%. I just received an inheritance. I wonder whether I should wipe out that mortgage or invest those dollars. I'm always told you don't want to have a mortgage, so should I pay it off? And also my net worth is about half a million. I mean, again, it depends. There's there's no rule of thumb here because uh, everybody has different needs and goals. But, um, you know, it depends on what other savings you have, for example, what other debt you have. Uh, right now, if, if you do look at the numbers, if, if, you're, if your interest rate is, is just under 3%, turning around and putting those dollars into the market, over the long term, you're probably going to return more than 3%. I don't have a crystal ball. I can't make guarantees. But a fully diversified portfolio is a pretty darn good chance you're going to net more than the 3% that you save by wiping out the mortgage. Yeah. I think math would say exactly what you're talking mm -hmm. about, Steve. If you do the math on it, that you'll probably come out ahead if that money is invested. But the key is is making sure that money is invested. Um, and at the same time, also know yourself here. Uh, money not going out is the same as money coming in. You're giving yourself a raise by paying off that mortgage. And if that makes you sleep better at night, not having what for most people is their largest bill uh, going into retirement, then, then maybe that makes the most sense. I don't think either of these options is a bad option. Yeah, it's a psychological component to it. If it helps you sleep at night and your financial plan still works at the end of the day, then maybe you don't need to return more than that 3%. I want to quickly get to Peter's question from Fort Thomas. Another rule of thumb question. Is there a rule of thumb for how much umbrella insurance you should have? <laughs> you know, maybe this is one of the exceptions to the rule about a rule of thumb. Yes. Really, a quick short answer for Peter is enough to protect your net worth. Yeah. 
Yeah. And also, even a million dollars worth of umbrella insurance sounds like a lot, but it's actually pretty affordable. It would just be a few hundred dollars um, a month and a few hundred, I'm sorry, a few hundred dollars for the year. year. Yeah. The premium yes, doesn't yes. go up much when, when, yeah. when you're talking about a million and 1.5 million. It does have a big impact when we're looking at, you know, three to five million dollars of umbrella insurance. But if you have kids and there's trampolines or swing sets or people playing in your yard or someone could fall at your house or even if you coach a kid's basketball team. I mean, there's so many things that this is just makes a lot of sense for that for the for the low cost of it. I'm telling you, if something were to ever go wrong, you'll be really glad you actually have this insurance. Coming up next is new surveys suggest that maybe there's some major misconceptions about credit scores. What you really need to know next. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money, presented by Allworth Financial. I'm Amy Wagner, along with Steve Ruby. Credit scores, these are incredibly important uh, your entire life. As far as any time you go to get a loan or open a credit card or buy something, this is probably going to come into play. But it's amazing to me how many misconceptions there are. Credit card myths, uh, credit score myths that are out there that if you don't understand these, you could make a major mistake. The first one being a credit score that's too low maybe will keep you from getting any type of credit card. Yeah, this this just isn't accurate. I mean, it, 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 what it will do is narrow your options, but yeah. narrowing your options isn't the same as no options. Yeah. You can still get a credit card if you have a, a low credit score, and you can use that credit card to help bring it up. You might not be able to get the Amex with a Delta Sky Miles. Yeah, you know, but if they, but there, there, there likely is some option for you. And if you are able to get a credit card, use that as a tool to build that credit score. Make those payments on time. Don't use the entire um, amount of credit that is allotted to you. Those are actually uh, healthy, smart choices that you can make that will build that credit. Myth number two here, hard credit checks by a business or company won't affect your credit score. Yeah, what, quarter percent of the uh, survey respondents didn't think that this was the case, but that is absolutely not correct. It I can will tell you. Your credit score. Well, my husband and I, and I have been pretty outspoken about this. My husband and I have bought some several small businesses over the past year. Mm-hmm. Every time, right, there are these hard inquiries. And my husband makes fun of me because I am so obsessed with my credit score that I'm like, we can't do this anymore. My credit score just went down 10 points. And he's like, oh my <laughs> gosh, Amy, <laughs> you know, it's still 800 plus. But if you understand how these things work, then it makes easier, makes it much easier, I think, to keep that score up. Yeah, credit bureau. They, they, they do look at you know somebody that's applying for credit cards over and over and over again as, as a greater credit risk. Um, so these these hard credit checks they do have an effect, but you know I, I think you're fine, Amy. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully. Here's another one that kind of goes hand in hand with that. Yes, other companies checking your credit score is a hard inquiry. You checking your credit score, however, is not. And I would say it's something that you very much need to do. Yeah, you can get the full picture on your credit score once a year. By going to one of the three major credit card bureaus, there's Equifax, there's Experian, and there's TransUnion, and they'll give you a very detailed report of what your credit score is without actually having an impact on it at all. You know, when, even beyond that, I mean, for example, my bank tracks my credit score for me, so the mm-hmm. app, I get an update when it says, hey, your credit score is ready to view, take a look. I just put my thumb on my phone and boom, there's my credit score right in my face, not having an effect on it just because I'm checking it. 
understand truths versus these myths go a long way. Thanks for listening tonight. We hope you'll tune in tomorrow. We're getting back to the basics, the fundamental rules of investing. You've been listening to Simply Money presented by Allworth Financial here on 55KRC, the talk station.